Chapter 12 of A Diamond Sky Above Titanic, a Good Omens fan fiction, written by Sea Blue Eyes, read aloud by Sky Simaru. If you enjoy this podfic, you can check out the original story on Archive of Our Own. If you would like to hear more of my recordings or see some of my own work, you can find me through the pen and screen name of Sky Asimaru. A Diamond Sky Above Titanic Chapter 12 Unable to Stay The decks of Titanic were seething, where before there had been only small groups or solitary figures hanging around, unhurried, unconcerned, uninterested. Now the place was filled. People rushed everywhere, in all directions, shouting and pushing and panicking. There were cries of distress, officers' shouts, children's wails, angry, incoherent noises, even the shrill cracks of gunfire and the disharmonic swell of cries that immediately followed. And somewhere, unnoticed and unappreciated, the band was playing on, elegantly and leisurely the most ill-fitting soundtrack imaginable. The difference in hour makes, as easily as a dream becomes a nightmare. Crowley and Aziraphale burst out of the crew-only entrance and stopped dead at the sight, momentarily stunned. As one, their eyes swept in mute horror across the masses, beyond to the rows of empty davits, one after the other, then back to the chaos. In that one moment, the overwhelming reality of the night, finally for Crowley, and crushingly for Aziraphale hit home, knocking the air from their lungs with its inescapability. All of these people, all of them, trapped. Bloody hell, whispered Crowley. Aziraphale was still staring at the people rushing by. There was a lovely blonde cradling a howling baby to her chest. A dark-skinned elderly lady was moaning on the floor. A skinny, fair-haired teenage boy, no longer a child and yet still not a man, hugged his arms around himself, completely numb. A Aziraphale couldn't stop staring. Then he jumped a foot as a flare rocket shot up into the sky directly behind him. Looking up, he watched it explode a second later in a bang and a shower of sparks above them as a beautiful firework, no different to the New Year or Bonfire Night variety, the kind that shines for celebration, not for salvation. For one brief half-second, the night was illuminated, a circle of the surrounding ocean, a desert of white, and then darkness 
fell once more and cloaked the world out of sight. Ships that pass in the night, thought the angel. He stared up at the sky, at the after image of the firework. Then darkness again, and a silence. God help us all. Crowley jogged over to the railings, leaned far over and squinted ahead, craning his neck over the crowds. His sunglasses flashed in the fireworks' dying sparks. Eh, there's one boat left at the very front, he shouted over the din, pulling back, flicking damp hair from his eyes. Eh, come on, is there a fell? He grabbed the angel by the hand and pulled him down the ship, down the slant towards the water. Aziraphale, having no choice, ran with him. They ran through the crowds, past people somehow still sedately strolling, past the band. Aziraphale stared as they ran past, couldn't help but do so. The five holding their ground on a dying ship as all else went mad around them, playing their calming music even as no one listened, only hearing it as a background noise amidst the chaos. They're not even dressed warmly, he thought, filled with angelic pity, imagining standing still in this bitter night chill. They must be freezing. It would take Wallace Hartley, the band's leading violinist, a full five minutes to notice the five thick woolen gray coats that someone had left hanging over the railings nearby for them. And when they put them on, they would be the warmest and snuggest coats they had ever worn. At the bridge surrounding the last lifeboat was a mob. Stand back, ordered Second Officer Charles Lightoller, shoving people away with a bruisingly hard hand. Let the women through! Will the men please hold back? It was utter pandemonium. The crowd was thick and desperate, pushing forward, swamping the officers, lifting the women and children aboard. And only the women and children. The air was electric with panic and anger. Crowley hastily linked his arm through Aziraphale's as they were almost pushed apart. <clears throat> Hold back, I say! There was another chorus of screams as two gunshots were fired into the air, and a pulsating wave following a half-second behind as everyone instinctively ducked and jumped. Crowley hugged Aziraphale, now stood behind him, closer, snaking his hands around his waist, sealing their bodies together as best he could from his awkward position. He couldn't see the angel's eyes, wide and numbed, staring at Lightholer, pulling a pigtailed child, mutely sobbing, out of her father's arms. He couldn't see his colorless cheeks, his parted lips, the lack of curling breath that escaped them. 
What he could see was Henry Wilde, also preoccupied, lifting the child's sister aboard, also distracted. Relief gripped him so tightly that he felt momentarily dizzy. This was all going to be fine, he knew. It would be all too easy to sneak aboard now that they were here. They were an angel and a demon, after all. Shape and size were but options for their kind. Though neither he nor Aziraphale would enjoy it, of course, they could become lice in the people's clothing, bacteria, small children, even in the given situation and the alternatives available, Crowley's demonic mind recoiled at the thought of being encased in such innocence, and he dismissed the idea as soon as it came. Perhaps even women. They could, come to think of it, just fly away. That would solve Aziraphale's crisis of conscience, surely. They could soar across the gaping ocean, hand in hand, cushioned by the starry ceiling mirrored against the ocean's glassy surface, climb higher and higher until they found an airstream to propel them onwards towards Newfoundland. The optimism died away in a heartbeat when he turned to relay his plans to the angel and was finally able to take in the expression on his counterpart's face. It was set, and it was resolute, and it was heartbroken. Crowley's breath caught in his throat. Aziraphale, he said. His voice was unsteady. Aziraphale? Aziraphale looked at him, and his blue eyes beneath their glasses were suddenly pleading with him. Crowley, he began, and his voice was filled with sorrow. Crowley, I... Oh no, not a chance! Crowley felt panic and anger and horror all rise simultaneously inside him as his fear was confirmed. We had a deal, Angel, and you can't just go back on it. Where's your angelic honor? My dear. Aziraphale was choked up. My dear, I thought I could do this, but I can't. Aziraphale, no. Crowley, look around you, the angel cried, gesturing blindly about him, at the children being torn from the arms of their fathers, at the women parting from the embrace of their lovers, at the families and lives being destroyed forever, fates decided by a higher power that was not their god, and his age-old eyes were shining now. Look at them all. Every single one of them wants to live. Every single one of them has only one shot at life. And they will die, Crowley, if they don't get on a boat. They will die. Crowley grabbed him by both shoulders as though he meant to shake him into sense. I will die, Aziraphale, if we don't get on this boat. And so will you. Crowley, you have to understand. You have 
to. I can't just leave them all. We'll fly, Angel. We'll fly to America together. And we'll get a lodge and we'll lie low for a while. Seraphil shook his head, distraught. I couldn't, Crowley. I couldn't. Gasping now, barely able to breathe and unable to speak, he stared around them at the terrified faces of the people surrounding them. So many faces with their pink cheeks and their frightened eyes and their different clothes and different faces and different lives, all of them so terribly heart-rendingly, pitifully human, all of them so desperate to live. How could he, an angel, leave them? How could an angel, an immortal being of God, heaven's representative on earth, sail to safety, save himself, whether using up a precious seat on this vessel of refuge or taking swift wings into the night, when behind him he left more than a thousand to perish alone in these seemingly God-forsaken waters. What kind of angel would he be if he did that? What kind of creature? Crowley saw all of this in Aziraphale's eyes. He saw the determination in them, the strength. He saw that he wasn't going to be able to change his mind. And Crowley could almost understand. He'd been an angel once. He couldn't quite empathize with Aziraphale's reasoning or feel guilt for not sharing the same obligation. But he could understand. It was from this understanding that he reached his own decision. Okay, he said, voice as calm and flat as the ocean besieging them. Okay, but I'm staying with you. Aziraphale started. Uh, Crowley! What? You think I'm just going to leave you here to die alone, Aziraphale? You honestly think I'm capable of doing that? My dear, now listen. Don't be stupid, Aziraphale, as if I'm leaving you. Uh, Crowley, you're a demon. Aziraphale looked near tears now. Diluted redness was darkening the whites of his eyes. You can't stay here. You have to save yourself. <laughs> I don't care about demonic proprieties. I'm not leaving you to die alone here. I wouldn't die. Yeah, be discorporated then. It doesn't matter. Same bloody difference. I'd be back within a week. I always am. No, Aziraphale. Crowley couldn't bring himself to say his fear out loud. You don't know that. You don't know what's going to happen. Heaven and hell are out to get us, Aziraphale. Who knows what they're going to do when they find out about us? About this. He shook his head, and, realizing how wildly he'd been waving his hands, clasped them together to cease further gesturing. 
I'm not leaving you. I'll die first. Be dragged to hell. I don't care. I'm not leaving you. Quit asking me too. Aziraphale's brows crumpled in pain. <sighs> Crowley, you must listen. No! Crowley, you have to get on this boat. Angel, no! Please get on the boat. Yes, do get on the boat, Crowley. Would you? Crowley froze. Aziraphale instinctively, apparently, also froze. Asmodeus, Asmodeus was standing beside them. Crowley felt his nails embed themselves within his palms, deep enough to etch eight scarlet crescents in their wake. Beside him, he felt Aziraphale mentally recoil as he sensed the fiend for what he was as a physical shock, like touching a hand to a charged object, gasping in pain and surprise as the harmless static shoots through your body, knowing it to only be the calling card of a thousandfold greater power lying dormant waiting for the slightest weakness to exploit. And then a sudden thought struck Crowley, struck him physically, as Aziraphale had physically felt his own horror. How much of their conversation had Asmodeus heard? The fiend passed a contemptuous sneer across the angel, no doubt taking in his adversary's huge frizzy curls, his fogged-up glasses, his endearingly glowing cheeks. Aziraphale looked like a half-drowned, overgrown choir boy, so ridiculously harmless and inoffensive that, for one childish moment, the kid in the cool gang caught with the chess champion. Crowley felt almost embarrassed to be seen in such company. Then he remembered whispered promises and gentling fingers, and that hip-swivel action of the angels that had taught him the true meaning of divine ecstasy, and the moment was gone. Get on the boat, Crowley, Esmodius ordered again, elbowing Aziraphale out of the way and, now face to face with the lesser demon, plastering on a smile so false and shallow that Crowley could only stare. Go on. You've done a terrific job here. Go home and have yourself a nice, well-earned rest in the warmth. I'll stay and sort out any little problems. Not to worry. He spoke so gently, so patronizingly, as always, but this time there was an edge to it, a knife beneath the words. He was like a parent losing patience. If Crowley didn't behave and do as he was told, there would be consequences and a coldness was now rising within his chest as he realized if Asmodeus found out about him and Aziraphale, that would be the end he knew, 
But he could not leave now. He could not leave his angel when this might be the last time they ever saw each other. Seraphel was watching him. He knew as well as Crowley did that there was no choice in the matter now. Crowley had to leave. The alternative was for Hell to learn the full truth of their relationship. The alternative was death. Go, Crowley, said the angel, and his voice was a note higher than usual. You must. You can't stay. Crowley felt a spasm in his chest, like a hiccough or perhaps a sob. No, he wanted to say. Seraphel, no! I can't just leave! Yes, Crowley, smiled Asmodeus. Go home. You have to, my dear. Crowley was numb and exhausted and fraught. It made him less in control of what was happening. He was no longer within touching distance of Aziraphale. He was being pushed gently away. A hand was in his, only for a moment, a Seraphel's hand, then wrenched away. And now there were other hands, strong, careless ones, tightening around his wrist, pulling. Aziraph! Shh! Come now, Crowley. Don't strain yourself. Just sit down now. There, there's a spot just between those scruffy creatures on the far side. Make yourself nice and comfortable. He was in the boat. He was leaving Aziraphale. Azira! He's the last you have the space to accommodate, I believe, Mr. Lightoller. Aziraphale! He was leaving Aziraphale! No! And lower away! yelled Wild, drowning his cry. There was a cry from the women and children surrounding him as the little boat jolted on its ropes and lurched his insides as it fell half an inch, then began its slow, jarring descent. He was in the boat. Aziraphale was on the Titanic. He was leaving Aziraphale. Crowley drew in a breath. He was a demon, he told himself. The words rushed and incoherent in his mind as the old mantra came back. He didn't have a choice. Sink or be sunk. No swim option. He was a demon. Sink or be sunk. Sink or be sunk. I don't have a choice. Above him, on the Titanic, Asmodeus came to stand next to Aziraphale. Without looking at him, he spoke, too quietly for anyone else to hear, too subtly for Crowley below to even realize he was speaking. To an angel, his every word had the irritation of a pinprick, repeatedly piercing his skin drawing little red orbs everywhere it struck.
minimal pain, minimal damage, but pain and damage to thine enemy all the same. <laughs> I know what's going on between the two of you, said Asmodeus, voice low, lips barely moving. Aziraphale kept his face completely impassive, continued to stare straight ahead, straight into the eyes of his lover. Crowley's sleeve was being tugged at by an elderly woman trying to make him sit, and he was taking no more notice of her than he would a gnat. I know, the angel replied, equally calmly. Asmodeus shot him a look, quick and sly. <laughs> then I trust you also know that you and Crowley will never be allowed to see each other again. The fiend's voice, still low, still casual, seemed to quiver with restrained malicious satisfaction at this. His whole body did. Aziraphale gave away no emotion to the demon, even as he felt his heart collapse in on itself. It was a truth he had been ruminating over since the Metatron's first unwelcome visit, but never fully accepted. He had not had the courage to. Now he had no choice but to let it in. He kept his voice steady as he gave his reply. He would not afford this wickedness the satisfaction of seeing him. Him what? Cry? He wasn't going to cry now, was he? When he spoke, his voice was thick. <laughs> I do. As Modius turned to look at him, Aziraphale met his gaze with the kind of stoic, sage calmness that only an angel can fully muster, even an angel on the verge of tears. Good to hear, was all the fiend said. Then he turned back to watch Crowley again. Aziraphale felt something hard lodge itself in his throat, sharp as splinters, and his eyes burn as the future, as eternity, sank in. They had lost. Heaven? Hell? They had won. And now he was never going to see his beloved Crowley again. The world seemed muted somehow as though it were respectfully retreating from the two lovers held suspended in this tragedy within a tragedy. Crowley, standing in the lifeboat, didn't see any of it, wild waving his arms to signal to those lowering them, the people still scrambling across the ship, nowhere to go, nothing to do but wait to die. The faces of the passengers around him, women and children, some waving, some sobbing, some frozen. He didn't see any of that. He didn't even see Asmodeus smirking to himself in contentment, resting his sharp elbows on the railings. All he saw was his angel, a seraphil, 
standing there, frozen like he was, watching him. Crowley looked up at him. He couldn't take his eyes off him, could not waste a single second. Every moment could be one of the last moments they would ever see each other. Millennia could pass, and it could be this moment he forever returned to. As Seraphel's cheeks were wet, Crowley could see, for they shone. As Seraphel was crying, he hadn't held the classic angelic elegance of old for millennia, yet in that moment, it seemed to Crowley, his angel had never looked more divine. Was it his love for Aziraphale that made him seem so unbearably beautiful? Or was it Aziraphale's love for him that gave that beauty? The beauty of true love, bare for all to see. After almost six millennia, after wars and plagues and arguments and long drunken nights discussing ineffability and omniscience and the world and what a wonderful place it was, after only one day of more than just friendship, one day of love, sweet, true eternal love that would forever remain in his wretched immortal soul. They could be separated forever. <sighs> this could be the last time I ever see Aziraphale, thought Crowley, calm with terror. I may never see him again, ever, and I can't even see him properly because I'm wearing these bloody sunglasses, even though it's night. Crowley blinked. He was a demon. He had to leave Aziraphale. He had to. Hell offered no choice, no getting out of it. Sink or be sunk. No swim option, remember? Same song, different verse. Easy now, easy! Together now, both sides together! He had no choice. He was a demon. Hell offered no choice. Sink or be sunk. Right? Right? The last of the flare rockets illuminated the sky above the angel's head as it was released, haloing Stupid, stupid metaphor. Him in golden sparks of light. Like sunlight, it caught the sheen in his hair, bathing his shoulders, illuminating him from the inside. And Crowley, those same sparks lighting him whole, cleansing him in brilliant, pure white light, shining from his glasses as though he were the source saw a seraphel, the angel of God, and imagined that this was the last look he would ever have of his soulmate, the angel he loved, the angel he was leaving to die alone on the sinking Titanic. A seraphel was going to die. A seraphel was going to die alone. And then, like coming out of a trance, he suddenly snapped free, became aware of what he was doing. He was leaving Aziraphale. 
leaving him, making the wrong choice. And for what? For, for demonic propriety? He didn't make the conscious decision to move. It just happened. Out of nowhere, he felt rope beneath his hands. And people, as he shoved them out of the way, he felt the edge of the lifeboat beneath his feet. He saw the veranda of sea deck in front of him. It all happened so fast. He didn't even judge the distance. He could have made it if it was a thousand miles. He leapt. There were cries of alarm from both the boat as it rocked and from the passengers still on Titanic. There was a furious, No! Stop him! Stop him! From above him, he heard Aziraphale shout his name. Crowley! Aziraphale! He slammed hard into the railings and felt pain shoot up his legs. Pain he ignored rather than wished away. His sunglasses flew off and shattered against the floor. He frantically pulled himself over, scrambling and kicking, and anybody who made to help him stopped dead at the terrible sight of his yellow eyes, wide and manic and animal and glowing. At their owner, the beautiful lunatic who had jumped back onto a dying ship. And then he was running, running down the deck, not fast enough, pushing past people, flinging himself through doorways, blindly, madly. And above him, before Asmodeus could grab and restrain him, Aziraphale too was running. He didn't know where, he was just running down, straight down to hell if need be. Just as Crowley was running up, to heaven and back if he had to. Through the reception hall, under the domed glass ceiling at the top of the main staircase, or through the sea deck entrance to the foot of the main staircase, running, running. He would run forever. Nothing mattered in the whole universe but seeing him again, holding him, never letting him go, even as heaven and hell dragged them apart. Crowley! Aziraphale was running down the stairs. Aziraphale! They reached each other and threw themselves into each other's arms, collided in a crush as strong and perfectly directed and unbreakable as two oppositely charged magnets. Aziraphale! Crowley moaned, burying his face into the angel's stupidly perfect curls, taking in his skin, his warmth, his scent, the tea leaves, the rain, the musty paper, taking in everything, everything, never ever to let go ever again. Aziraphale! Oh, Crowley! sobbed Aziraphale holding him, caressing him, touching every inch of him that he could. Oh, Crowley, you stupid, stupid, slithery serpent! But there was no conviction to his words, and barely any coherency. He was sobbing so hard. I'm not bloody leaving you, angel, so get that in your good blessed head! Crowley cried, nonsensical. 
He pulled back, took Aziraphale's face in his hands, stroked the soft skin beneath his insatiable fingertips, fingertips wet with the angel's delirium-inducing tears, looked him right in the eyes, deep enough to see the intersecting rings of lighter and darker blue. Ripples on oceans more wild than their own, flecks like raindrops sweeping across the surface. You're stuck with me, Aziraphale, and if you're sinking, then I'm bloody well going to sink with you. Aziraphale wept with relief. Aziraphale, I love you. I love you, Aziraphale. For God's sake, don't make me say it again. And then they were kissing, kissing so hard their earlier affections of the day seemed almost chaste. So ardently it felt like the first time. So deep it went beyond mortal corporations, deep into their very souls. The archangel Raphael once told Adam and Eve that when angels embrace in heaven, their souls become one. Paradise Lost, Book 8, Lines 626-629 Easier than air with air if spirits embrace. Total they mix, union of pure with pure, desiring nor restrained conveyance need, as flesh to mix with flesh, or soul with soul. On earth, apparently, it just takes them a little more effort. They held each other once more, bearing themselves into the other, and knew that they would rather die, properly, totally die, than be apart. They knew that for as long as they existed, they would never be whole unless they were with the other. Crowley squeezed his eyes shut and pretended that they always would be. But even at that very moment, dark forces were conspiring against the two lovers. Asmodeus, gripping the banister at the top of the stairs, watched the embracing demon and angel. He was not used to running. His perfect hair had fallen over his face, and his perfect tie was askew. He was holding the banister with one hand that crushed the fine mahogany into splinters around his fingers. He was filled with more rage than he could ever remember feeling since the Great War. He shook with it. His suit strained. An angel and a demon in love before his very eyes. Asmodeus's eyes were on fire. From thin air he drew the weapon from his side that he always carried, and had, until now, always kept invisible. His old flaming sword, it ignited with a woomph. Rippling orange flames licked greedily over the adamantine for the first time in almost six millennia. Crowley, over his beloved's shoulder, looked up 
as though in slow motion he saw Asmodeus bring up that terrifying sword, saw Red shoot through his irises, saw his suit tear at the seams. Then wings split from the archdemon's pinstripe-suited back, two massive, ugly wings that spanned the great entrance from wall to wall. They had once been white, as all angels' are, but now they were singed matte black at the top, as though charred by flame. The feathers melted together. Those that weren't totally scorched were a sickly yellow, like nicotine-coated fingers or the eyes of a hepatitis victim, tainted and sallow and unhealthy. Archdemon Asmodeus spread his wings wide and raised them above his head like those of a snarling, blazing harpy of hell. Chandeliers shattered above him and rained their dripping jewels. It was more than just his heart that Crowley felt stop in that one moment. It felt like time itself. He hadn't realized before that time is flexible, that time can bend to your own emotions, that time can take pity. He was about to realize also that time is not generous, that time is also impatient. The moment passed, the world continued, and then, contracting those great ugly wings to his back, and tensing his knees, and raising his sword, and spilling all his true wrath unto the mortal world, Asmodeus lunged. To be continued in Chapter 13. Uh, thank you for reading. Please drop by the archive and let the author know what you thought of their work.